Hello and welcome to Solutions. This is the second episode of our second series of podcasts for solution-focused hypnotherapists. And I'm Cathy Eland. And I'm Trevor Edwards, and we're both experienced solution-focused hypnotherapists. Today, we're taking a look at what to do with a client who is stuck. I think you've got a case study for us, Trevor, haven't you? I have a composite case study. No one will recognize themselves or all their friends if they hear this podcast. That's good. I suppose that most clients turn up to see us because they want to lose weight, feel more able to give that presentation, or simply stop feeling so depressed. Getting them to agree a goal, something they want to move towards, is fairly straightforward. Yes. What can be much harder is when you have someone who feels completely stuck where they are, and whose ultimate goal is not totally unrealistic, but is certainly a difficult one to achieve and one that is a long way away from their starting point, so far that they feel totally unable to take that first step. They're stuck, unable to move forward. And David McClelland came up with the three needs theory in the 1960s, which suggested that people were motivated by their needs for achievement, power, or affiliation. Couldn't that help? Well... According to the theory, my client had a high need for achievement. Unfortunately, he preferred working on tasks that were moderately difficult, and he avoided both high-risk and low-risk situations. He felt that trying to achieve his goal was too high-risk, so he preferred to do nothing rather than risk the failure of not achieving it, which is why he was stuck. Yeah, but we're solution-focused hypnotherapists. We don't worry too much about why people are how they are. We want to help them take those first small steps towards achieving their goal. In our early sessions, I asked him to describe his goal in great detail and use this in the hypnotherapy session so that he could picture himself successfully performing his new job. I suggested that he put up a vision board at home so that he could keep seeing things related to this goal. But he didn't like the idea because other people might see his goal and ask him about it. And he'd feel that he was failing to achieve it. Right. Of course, asking a client to visualize the steps towards achieving a goal is a more successful way of helping people make changes than asking them to visualize achieving the end goal. Right. So I also asked him to imagine that a future version of him had achieved his goal and was now talking to present day him and explaining what steps his future self had taken to achieve the goals. That way, he could visualize what needed to be done. I then asked him by what date he would have taken that first step. He laughed and couldn't be pressed into giving an answer. Being stuck for him was also being safe, or at least that's how it seemed he felt. So usually we get clients to simply state their goal in positive terms, i.e. what they would like to achieve rather than what they don't want to happen. For example, I'll be running my own company rather than I won't be working for my present company anymore. And we can also get them to say what date they will have achieved it. I also like to walk them through the steps they need in order to get from where they are now to where they want to be. 
This makes the whole process less daunting. For example, in order to get fit, you need to join a gym. In order to join a gym, you need to search on the internet for a local gym. And the client might agree to do this by Friday. The other advantage of walking through the steps is that the client can visualize themselves taking those steps. This, as well as setting a time frame, identifies any resources that are needed. For example, you need to buy running shoes. I ask them about how they will behave when they have achieved their goal. Sometimes I do the same with the steps along the way to that goal achievement. Good stuff. I expect you're wondering how you responded to the miracle question. Well, there were lots of, no, I don't know, really, types of answers. I, of course, would nod encouragingly and not say anything. I wanted him to fill the void in the conversation. After a number of long pauses, he eventually decided that when he woke up, he would feel happier and he would feel more confident about his ability to make changes in his life. Right. And there's a phrase, paralysis by analysis, and this can affect lots of people in lots of different situations. It's when they think about or brood on what they can do to such an extent that they can't choose what the best thing is to do. Yeah, I suggested that doing nothing was actually a choice. But he was stuck trying to make the right decision. I read somewhere that people make better decisions when they need to go to the toilet. You could suggest that when he needs to go to the loo, he asks himself what he should do about his life and write down the decision before he goes to the loo. You could start by getting him to choose different things as quickly as possible, like, do you prefer fish and chips or pizza? And then gradually work towards harder questions. Do you want to be in the same job this time next year or a different one? And gradually, he'll become more and more confident about making choices, realizing that most decisions don't matter. And he'll be getting more and more confident about making harder ones. He'll realize that you're never going to have all the information you need to make the right decision. And as you get more information, it's probably simply confirming what you already thought. Interesting. Did you spend time helping the client to empty his stress bucket and get back in control of his life? That should help him to be able to make better proactive decisions rather than simply react to what was going on around him. Oh, yes. I mean, we spent a long time with relaxation, bucket emptying, confidence sessions, and they were definitely needed. Um, In addition, he felt he had low self-esteem, and we spent time helping with that. He said that he felt he was not as clever as the other people he worked with. He felt that people generally didn't like him as much as the others in his office, and he thought his opinions were of less value than anyone else's. He felt that he didn't deserve nice things. And all this was holding him back from making the changes he wanted. Oh, bless him. How did you deal with that, Trevor? Right. I helped him recognise that he was being unfair in his view of himself. As a homework, I asked him to write down every time someone said something nice, no matter how small a compliment that might be. 
compliments might be simple thank yous for a cup of tea or compliments about a piece of work completed or a work-related compliment such as, oh, you're always good at Excel. By keeping a note of these small items of positive feedback, he began to see that his current view of himself was one-sided. Another technique that helped was to break through his all-or-nothing thinking to show him that there are shades of grey between black at one end and white at the other. For example, some people may view the fact that uh, they're not a dress size 8 as a clear sign that they're fat and therefore completely, remember this is all-or-nothing thinking, completely unattractive. The answer is to suggest that if a size 8 is the top of the scale and a size 18 or, or whatever is at the bottom, where would you place a size 14, for example, or whatever size they are? This gets them scoring things in the grey zone. And you can do the same technique with anything else they do, like exercise or cooking. The important thing is to get them scoring and thinking in that grey zone. One thing therapists need to bear in mind is that praising people and offering positive approval works well on people with high self-esteem. But for people with low self-esteem, it actually makes them feel worse. That's really interesting. I'd like so many things. Low self-esteem is reinforced by the way people treat you. And the way people treat you depends on how you appear and how you behave. I used to use the example of Matt Damon, the actor who appeared in the Bourne series of movies as a hardened killer, whereas the same actor could appear as the naive pickpocket in Ocean's Eleven. In both films, it was the same person, and both totally credible as the characters uh, he was playing. And what I'm saying is that other people react to the way you behave, and they also respond to the way you appear. So if you look smart, they'll treat you like that. Probably why people wear suits when they appear in court. And if you appear slobbish, then people will treat you with little respect. So one way of raising your self-esteem is to go shopping and smarten your appearance. Perhaps shave and have a haircut as well. People will react differently to your new appearance and behaviour. And this will have a knock-on effect on improving your self-esteem. Yes, interesting. Um, while in trance, I ask my client to visualise themselves feeling calm and relaxed, acting confidently, looking smart, appearing to be in control of the situation they're in, and recognising the talents and skills they already have. The idea is to fake it until you make it, or act as if. You keep pretending to be something, relaxed and confident, until you find that's exactly how you are. It started to have the desired effect. But one of the things with being stuck is that you often feel that you just can't do things. And these are called limiting beliefs and they can impoverish our lives. You know, we hear people say things like, I'm just no good at maths or I can't cook or I'm not good enough to. These are examples of limiting beliefs. Yeah, and some people have an inner voice that is always being critical. My client didn't. If he had, I would have asked him to ignore it or challenge it by saying, 
that's not what I really think. You can also take any characteristic and reframe it in a positive way. You can ask your client to list their positive characteristics. If they were a superhero, what would their powers be? If they review their strengths, intelligence, sense of humor, determination, etc., each day, they will come around to seeing themselves as better equipped to deal with life than they do now. And using hypnotherapy, I asked the client to visualize themselves performing the actions they wanted to perform and do it using the strengths that they had listed. Mm. And you could also discuss ways that your client could stay calm in difficult situations. 7-Eleven breathing is always very good. And getting him to imagine that he was relaxing in his favorite place, stepping into that feeling works. And if you know how to do anchoring, you could give him a calming anchor he could use. Yeah. And by the end of our sessions, in his miracle question answers, he was looking forward to a new job as part of his new career. I started talking about the longest journey, beginning with a single step, and asked him what his first step towards his new career will be. Well, I meant to say that if you have a client who says that they are stuck and can only see the problem, one useful question to ask is, what would you like to feel instead? Yeah, that's a good idea. And I have some useful questions to ask when dealing with people who are focused on their problem, when you ask them what's been good. So I'll just run through them. I'm wondering what part of your brain you are in when you're telling me that. Or what strategies did you use with that? Thanks for telling me that. We'll come back to that one later. Or how much time from today's session do you think you would need to tell me enough for us to start working? Now, this is a useful response when someone says, I know you don't want me to tell you anything negative, but I just have to tell you this first. Or I can't imagine how hard this is for you. I guess you are hoping to explore some solutions. Or, goodness, that does sound like a tough week. I wonder if you could tell me a little about how you got through it. Or, I'm sorry to hear that. I wonder if you could tell me where you found the strength to cope with that. Or, how did you manage that? And this is a really great one for getting people back on track. Okay. We have X more minutes. Let's use these to create the image that's going to be most useful to you tomorrow. I'm a bit like Google Maps. I'm really useful, but I need to know where you want to go. We have to be specific. So let's be specific about how you would prefer things to be. Then let's get on with the hypnosis to allow your mind to consolidate that picture and to plan for things going well. Or, you understand that change involves us doing something different today that is different from what you did yesterday. So what is that different thing? Or, what small step are you taking today to move towards the goal? Or, when you walked up the path to my door today, what were you hoping would happen? Great list. What do you say to people who say, I don't know, apart from staying silent and waiting for them to fill in the gap. 
Yeah, that is a good question. So I might say, what are your best hopes for our talking today? Or what was it brought you here today? Or something made you think that today might help? I'm wondering what that might be. I'm wondering if you'd like to take a a couple of moments just to think. Or what would you like to be different? Or what part of your life would you like to change? If you could change one thing, I'm wondering what that might be. I wonder what might be different for you. I wonder if you can picture in your mind's eye what the future might be like. I'm wondering if you might be able to describe that picture for me to help me understand. Or when you woke up this morning, what did you want to be different? Or when you booked to see me or agreed to come to see me if it's a child, what was it that you wanted to change? Or I can see this is really hard for you. And I know that you are taking this time to really think Now take all the time you need. And finally, well done. It's really important that you take your time with this to think about how you want things to be rather than just giving me answers. Yeah, those are really useful questions to help move the session forward when working with clients who don't engage with the process. We can never underestimate the power of the metaphor in brain revision. And here are a few that might be useful for people who are stuck. Okay, here's one. A space shuttle uses 70% of its fuel to get off the ground, then it's off. Or one small step is like a deposit in your happiness savings account. Or remember that snowy analogy of Pasquale Leone, the first sledge down may be unpredictable, dependent upon steering and characteristics of the hill. The second run will be close to the first, but not the same. And you can spend all afternoon sledging down and therefore some paths will be more defined than others. The pathway need not be perfect, but it's the direction of change that matters. Yeah, good one. And for Star Trek fans, you can think of the miracle question like loading up a program for the holodeck. I love that. Well, what about the monk walking up the mountain, taking note of the journey rather than focusing on the summit? Yeah, and you can think of uh, your primitive brain like a dog. We're not responsible for its nature, but we are responsible for training it. Brilliant. So I hope we've given you some ideas on working with stuck clients. And to end with an apt quote, habit is habit and not to be flung out of the window by any man, but coaxed downstairs a step at a time. Mark Twain. Good, yes. Um, Of course, SFBT says that a therapist should change the way they work with the client if the client is not making progress. That is true. Well. That's about it from us. Next time we'll be looking at happiness. So it's goodbye from me, Cathy Eland. And it's goodbye from me, Trevor Edwards. See you next time. Bye. Bye.